This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey, it's Craig. Hey, it's Andrew. Boo! Ah. <laughs> I have an idea for you, Andrew. Oh, boy. A podcast where the prestige of the publishing industry meets page six scandals and true crime suspense. Mm-hmm. What if I told you this idea has already come to fruition? I would be interested to learn more. <laughs> well, wait no longer. <laughs> Missing Pages, a new show from the podglomerate, uncovers some of the literary world's messiest scandals and how they were initially reported in the news. Now, can you tell me if anybody spills any tea on anything? Because I really like when people spill the tea on things and people. Well, you'll just have to listen and see if I talk about tea spilling or if it's just in the subtext of the words I say. <laughs> okay. Host Beth Ann Patrick, an acclaimed literary critic and columnist, takes listeners through all the windy and unexpected turns of these fiascos. Listeners hear about a fraudulent memoirist who ran a dubious charity, a scandal-plagued sophomore, the world's most chaotic influencer, and the first-class liar behind a second-rate thriller author. That's some tea if I ever heard of tea. Yeah, that's some tea. Don't miss out on these juicy scandals. Follow today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show, Overdue. The full season is now available for binge listening. That's Missing Pages. Podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My <sighs> name. My name is Andrew. And as you, Craig, as you know, I have stuck a series of pins into my face to I... simulate the the guy Pinhead from the the Hellraiser movies. I thought you might have gotten a haircut. Is that what it is? It's yeah, it's a it's a series of long metal pins that I have yeah. affixed to my skin and face. Huh. And it really hurts, but I thought it would give me some insight into the character that we're going to be talking about today. How's brushing your teeth going? It's complicated. <laughs> okay. I look forward to future updates on Pinhead Andrew. You just have to be really careful not to bump any of them because whenever... Ooh. That's the thing about Pinhead is if you ever like bonked your head or face on anything, you would just impale you. It seems really... Even if you're from a super horny race that can't distinguish between pain and pleasure. Yeah. It seems just dangerous to have that many long metal pins stuck to your face. There, it really head. limits the types of hats that you can wear. Mm-hmm. They can't. I mean, I guess you'd, you'd be. It'd be a little bit like cat whiskers. Like you could use yeah. them to determine like whether a space was too narrow for you to get. <laughs> I'm through. always running into that problem myself. Yeah. I figure I should get some pins in my head. Yeah, get some pins in your face. We're talking about Pinhead because it's Spooktober. It's Andrew, over, baby, it's so spooky in here. I'm and drinking pumpkin beer. My I'm, neighbors have all their Halloween decorations out. I'm drinking a, a beer that has a skeleton on it. Okay, that's pretty spooky. So that is spooky. Uh, and you know, there's a skeleton living inside you right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Every day I have to push that thought away. <laughs> There's a skeleton right it's like right inside you. Every day I have I look in the mirror and say, No skeleton in there. Nope. And then I can go about my day. Um, we're gonna talk about books or one book in particular. That's how the show works. One of us reads it, tells the other person about it. Uh, and all month, spooky stuff coming at you. Yeah. Drinking skeleton beers, having children. It's gonna be a spooky <laughs> month. <laughs> Not live on air, hopefully. No, no, um, no, no, no. No, that'd be no so we did terrifying. not plan. We, unfortunately, our plans for a, a, a birthing spectacular <laughs> fell through due oh, to lack God. of lack of no, interest. So scary. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we this week I read the Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. Um. This is this, a sequel to the Telltale Heart. You know, I don't think. So okay, all right. That's good to know. That's just my first question. Um, but uh, it is the novella that then was became Hellraiser, a mm-hmm. film that maybe you've heard of. I've never seen Hellraiser. I've never seen Hellraiser, but I know that guy with the pins in his face. And I think they're making a new Hellraiser. I think they've they made are. a new Hellraiser that may even be in theaters now. Maybe um, if you want to get spooked, so maybe mm-hmm. this this book will be of interest to you. This was mentioned by a few people on our Discord as a potential uh, Spooktober entry, and yeah, he's I don't know that Pinhead's <laughs> just been out there. He's just I've, been out there with the the spikes in his face for so long. I I've ever heard Clive Barker's name. Mm-hmm. I think he's like maybe some people disagree, but as someone who's not steeped in horror movies. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm familiar with Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen King is there, but he doesn't make the movies. Um, and like John Carpenter does some horror stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then I've heard Clive Barker, but I don't mm-hmm. know what his deal is. And this is apparently his deal. Okay, the so Hell yes, people. the the new Hellraiser movie is not out as we record this, but it will be out by the time people are listening to oh, it. Oh, cool! It's going to be premiered on October 4th and then it will be on Hulu as a Hulu original film on October 7th. Neat. Okay. Maybe I'll have um, watched it by the time this episode comes. <laughs> did you, here's a fun fact about the Hellraiser movies that we can that we can talk about. Okay, tell me how many Hellraiser movies you think there are including this new one. Oh, dang. Uh, Just first thought best thought. 8. No. More? This new one is the 11th. No. <laughs> It's because there's and, two L's in Hellraiser. And the first, they did not capitalize on that for the Hulu movie, unfortunately, mm. based on this poster that I'm looking at. The first, like, eight or nine of them had the same guy playing Pinhead, Pinhead? who's the, oh, the Spike Face guy. Um, dang. I wrote his name down somewhere. Uh, Doug Bradley was the name of Pinhead. Yes! And they asked him to be back for one of the, one of the you know, the ones after he was not in it anymore, and... He was like, I'm not going to do it because you're trying to make me sign an NDA to see the script of the movie that no! I would be in, and I'm not going to do it. So. Stand up for your principles, Doug. Uh, but yeah, and so, okay, so now we know how many Hellraiser movies there are. Can you guess how many of those Hellraiser movies had any involvement at all from Mr. Clive Barker? Is it just the first one, right? He wrote and directed the first one. He is a producer on this newest one okay and never the twain shall meet he's not involved at all in any of the other ones 
because I, I which, saw which Wiki, Wikipedia notes that given the number of people who've gotten their fingerprints on this franchise over the years, there is not a lot of consistency to oh. like Cenobite like morality or abilities Lore, or yeah. motives or characterization. It's just kind of a hodgepodge. So it's going to be fun. And we'll, t- we'll talk visit about the beginning of it all. Yeah. Like I, I do. Th- I hot take, like I can see why this became a movie. Like mm-hmm. it's a pretty spare book and it's mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. And the, the scares and the thrills and the chills are like right there on the page. You can see how they would become, a movie pretty quickly mm-hmm. but he doesn't have to he doesn't have to cut out a lot of world building he doesn't have to like move things along in the adaptation like it's a pretty brisk story which mm-hmm. makes it like a natural fit for the screen mm-hmm. um but also yeah there's not a lot here that that like would get contradicted by a film in 10 years like mm-hmm. whatever make up whatever what I don't know. <laughs> um, what do you, what do we need to know about Clive Barker, Andrew? Clive Barker was born in 1952. He is an English novelist, playwright, and artist. He was born in Liverpool, and you know who else was born in Liverpool? The, Be- the Beatles. The Beatles. The old Beatles. <laughs> um, so he he went to the same high school as John Lennon, and he was at an event where Leo Valentin, the like the famous skydiver guy. Oh, that guy died in front of Paul McCartney, George Harrison and Clive Barker. Holy crap. They were all part of like a 10,000 person crowd at the show where he like tried to jump out of a plane and do like hang gliding kind of stuff with wooden wings, but one of the wings broke and he just, he just died. Oh no. So that's fun. Just small world, isn't it? Oi, gov, small world, isn't it? Okay. So Clive Barker uh, worked briefly in the theater in the 70s and into the early 80s, but he shifted to writing starting in 1984 when the first of his books of blood fiction (laughs) anthologies came out. Okay. Uh, He wrote six of these anthologies, all published in 1984, 1985, and then his first novel, The Damnation Game. Uh, came out in between the first three and the last three hmm. books okay. books of blood uh and then this uh hellbound heart was a second novel um, okay published in 1986 and i think the main thing that it shares with the the books of blood <laughs> is just like a stylistic like a, sure. a, a spareness and a goriness and a graphicness and a directness. Yeah. That sort okay. of characterizes his work, I think. Um, uh, so a couple things that just like fun fact, fun Clive Barker facts. Um, he's gay, which he says he knew by his like late teens, which if you're doing math, puts it sometime in the early seventies, which is not a yeah. great time, like societally to, to be doing it's not that. not really a great time. Um, a lot yeah yeah uh but he's you know he's had several committed partners over the years he nearly died in 2012 from toxic shock syndrome which happened to him after some kind of bacterial contamination thing following an exploratory dentist's visit Uh, okay clive and this has been a pretty big I, this, this seems to have like altered the course of his entire life because Whoa. he is like writing books and publishing stuff pretty regularly up until like 2011. And then this thing happens to him. And then since 2012, 
like most of the books that have come out with his name on them have been of his like sketches and his, his art. There's, there's one uh, novella called the secret gospel that came out in 2015. That's a sequel to hellbound heart found people on Reddit speculating that it was ghostwritten because it didn't feel like the Clive Barker they knew. I'm not going to say that that is, you know, that is true, but sure. just give you, give you a, an inkling of how the fan base might've received that work. But, um, well, yeah, he, it's, he was so a he's, producer, he's been working. He's, he's been working on whatever Books of Blood show that happened. Books of Blood in twenty twenty, but I don't know how directly involved he was. He's been yeah, he's been a producer on some some adaptations of his work. He's been working on this um, on this book called Deep Hill, that is said to have been inspired by this like near death experiences and this near death huh. experience and the things that he's like been ruminating about since then. But it's not out yet it's he's been kind of teasing it this entire time and like maybe it's going to come out maybe it won't maybe it'll be his last book maybe it won't but he's been working on it for like a decade at this point and it's still not out okay that's seems fun so okay. yeah uh but yeah he he's just his his the books of blood and hellbound heart and everything it's all it's all very gory horror and I'm, I guess I'm excited to to hear you tell me more about it. Yeah, the book was, um, as you said, it was first published in '86, but it was in the third volume of an anthology series or something. Mm-hmm. Was it was it his anthology series? No, it was that we the, know the name of. Okay, no, it was their Night Visions anthology series, <laughs> um, and then after the film was a success, they wound up. R- re-releasing this as a standalone oh okay um, okay okay i know um the what i know about the inspiration for the story is it was inspired by his time as a sex worker in the 70s hmm. uh so he wanted to do a book about sexuality like about sexuality and good and evil um and then it's also inspired i guess by snm clubs where people would just get piercings for for the fun of it sure which yeah. i think is why the guy has all the pins in his face yeah, sure. Pain and pleasure. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the same nerves. It's just what you do to them. Yeah, and that's the. Th- I mean, this the Cenobites. No, it's it's not a new, hot new hard drive capacity. Oh it's a. It's a. They're not. They're not aliens. They are. No. They used to be humans. But is that true? Being, yes. Okay. But they they lost like connection with their their humanity and and mortality because. They were just pursue. They were so they were too horny, and they wanted it too bad, and so they can't distinguish between pain and pleasure, which of course makes them incredibly like enthusiastic about pain. Yeah, which I don't like. I don't know why it wouldn't cut the other. Like, why are they really, really enthusiastic about pain instead of being like horrified of back rubs? Like, I don't. shouldn't shouldn't they be really scared of pleasure also instead of just really enthusiastic about pain? Yeah, I don't really get it. They they're really in at least what we see in this book, they're really into other people's pain. Yes, they're probably in pain all the time. I mean, they put the the pins in their face as we've yeah, discussed. Yeah, and, and a couple of them there's like a lot of like hooks and things like anytime they move or speak, they're probably experiencing pain. Um 
because stuff. I mean, out. I'm I'm 36 years old. Yeah. So, <laughs> so hey, well, call me a Cenobite because that's my that's my day to day. Um, but they really seem to enjoy other people being in pain. Uh, and they, I, we'll talk about it. They're not aliens, you're right, but they don't exist on our material plane most of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah. So, so that, that that's basically the deal. Yeah. This I don't with think this that... With book and with Clyde Barker. I don't know if you have anything else that you want to hit before we take a quick no, break. No, just but... as we go in, we'll take the break and just like, I don't, I would not read this book if not for the show, and that's not to say Ooh. I didn't have an interesting read, but it's just not a, like, I don't hang out in this horror place. I, I don't think, think you do either. Yeah, something, I don't love horror stuff, and I think, like, you go back to, like, the girl next door or whatever, like, there's this there's this genre of, like, gory fic or slasher fiction, or I, I don't know what you, how you would categorize it, but it, it's a place that neither of us goes like of our own no. volition and it's not that it's not interesting to visit sometimes it is, yeah. but yeah it is it is a a genre that is part of spooktober and so we welcome it in and we celebrate it but maybe it's not like it's not one that we would want to like live on our bookshelves no we don't invite so to it to stay more than a few weeks no. and even that's a lot Yes, but the month of October, basically. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll talk about it, but let's take a quick break first. Yeah, let's let's put a pin in this conversation and, and we'll be back. Do you or someone you know have feet or a body or a butt? If you're like me, you have all three of those things. And if that describes you, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Bombas. Bombas' mission is simple. They make the most comfortable clothes ever, and they match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Uh, I've loved wearing Bombas socks for years. Uh, They do shirts and underwear and slippers, too. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. Uh, I like that their socks come in lots of styles. Uh, I like to wear the calf socks to keep me warm in winter, and they also do ankle socks that will keep you cool in the summer. And they also do kid styles if you want your little kid to have some socks. Socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters, which is why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. Customers have helped donate over 50 million items of clothing so far. So if this sounds like something you are interested in, go to bombas.com slash do that's D-U-E, the word do. Uh, use the offer code do for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash do, D-U-E. Use code do at checkout. Bombas.com slash do. That's code D-U-E. So as I pull each of these pins out of my face one by yeah. one yeah. because the bit's over and we don't need them anymore. <laughs> Good luck. Can you tell me more about the Hellbound? Like whose heart is Hellbound? Why is it Hellbound? Does it ever get there? Just like what kind of fun and, and what kind of fun like adventures do we get into along the way? So I think mm-hmm. it is it's an interesting book structurally like whose book is it is kind of an open question. Clyde Barker's book? Just shut up. It's just, <laughs> I'm 
I'm dealing with pleasure and pain over here. I'm working through it. We just talked about him for like 15 (laughs) minutes. It's so there's this guy at the beginning of the book named Frank Cotton. It's Mm -hmm. probably his hellbound heart. Probably. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're going to meet his brother, Rory. We're going to meet his sister in law, Julia. We're going to meet another woman named Kirsty, who I think is just Rory's friend who has the hots for him. Okay. Um, and those, and we're going to meet some intradimensional, extra-dimensional uh, freakazoids, the Cenobites. <laughs> uh, not, let's not kink shame the Cenobites, no, I, please. No, they remind me of the cartoon freakazoids. Oh, what I'm okay, saying. okay, okay, yes. okay, okay. In their cartoonishness. Mm-hmm. Um but Frank is the opening of the book, and so I guess it's and he's the one who ultimately gets trapped in the in the hell dimension for a period of time. So let's say it's his hellbound heart. Okay. I guess mm-hmm. it's not a lot of hearts, a lot of okay. Uh, Frank, <laughs> open the book. I I like structurally. It's got like the. There's an opening scene where you don't really know somebody's doing a thing, and then like he gets got by the bad guys, and then like we go to some other characters. Mm-hmm. So Frank's little opening scene here, he's in this like empty room. His name is Frank Cotton, and he is a hedonist criminal looking for pleasures untold. He is just like boy. By the time you first meet him. He has lived a life of probably more than petty crime and probably more than sex pest stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, what's the next? I need something else because life is boring to me in a real like nihilistic way. And I mm-hmm. need to feel something. Mm-hmm. So he's seeking bigger and better scores. Mm-hmm. And he has come across, I guess, you know. It's, he's come across a puzzle box, mm-hmm. the Le Marchand configuration, it's called, Andrew. And it's this little cube that apparently you can open if you can find out how the cracks like come apart. Mm-hmm. And he uh, has this altar set up in this room while he's opening this box. Let me tell you what's on the altar here. Okay. And and he's done a bunch of research on this box. He's he's uh, spoken to people in the order of the gash, whatever they are, Jesus. to tell him about <laughs> yeah, right. the Cenobites. And he has heard that if he solves this box with the right altar and whatever, uh, they will take him to another dimension full of unfathomable pleasure, like naked ladies to the sky. Yeah, that's... Um, mm-hmm. You know all this, all the stories you've ever heard of about mm-hmm. pleasure, mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it is fun for me to think of this as Clive Barker being like, "What are straight people like?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's funny. It's like, I like naked, that. naked lady pleasure dimension, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> um, and he, this house has been passed down to Frank via like a you know a family a death in the family and so he's just in this house by himself i read this whole book not really thinking about the fact that clive barker's british and just thought it took place in like nowhere's ohio uh-huh. like it just kind of has small town suburb energy i think yeah that's a that's a uh 
that's a common horror thing. Like I, Stephen King has made it a, a point to like have this one little town in Maine where all of his unspeakable horror originates and, from. But like, yeah, the the sort of any town like yes, there are people around, but also there's enough seclusion that stuff can happen without people noticing. Or, yeah, and this is yeah. not a book about a town with a secret. This is a mm-hmm. book about a a monster sex man who gets bested by bo- sex monsters mm-hmm. and then some other people's lives get messed up along the way. So mm-hmm. he builds this altar in this empty room in his house. He had worked ceaselessly in the preceding week to prepare the room for them. The bare boards had been meticulously scrubbed and strewn with petals. Upon the west wall, he had set up a kind of altar decorated with the kind of pla- placatory offerings Kircher had assured him would nurture their good offices. Bones, bonbons, needles, a jug of his urine, the product of seven days' collection, stood on the left of the altar should they require some spontaneous gesture of self-defilement. On the right, a plate of dove's heads, which Kircher had, had also advised him to have on hand. And he's talking about this guy who told him about the box mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And so he solves the box... And the creepy people appear. They appear out of a rift in reality. Mm-hmm. Functionally, they're just coming out of the wall. But and you know, <laughs> this is an anytime. It, if anybody had ever solved a Rubik's cube, like this is the kind of thing that, that they would hoped happen. would. Happen. <laughs> but and then, like no, but nobody's ever solved a Rubik's. Oh, you're cube, right. So That's it hasn't true. happened before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and because so they're unsolvable, like famously, they're just you can't. You, they're impossible to do. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. He sees these four creatures, which have been so disfigured and pinned and hooked and sewn and pained that they don't really resemble, like, people. He remarks that they've kind of, like, I don't know, you know, he remarks on their androgyny in a way that, like, he's he's judging that they, like, don't have a, you know... A sensuality to them anymore and i yeah. don't know what that's about but he's just like these are they're alien to human experience at this point is what he surmises um and he's also like horrified and stressed <laughs> by this situation and he thinks there's supposed to be five of them and they tell him that the that the engineer will show up when he deems it is necessary mm-hmm. um the engineer but, yeah they don't have okay. names. They're just the Cenobites. They can, they can just pick a character class, and that's what they're <laughs> referred to as. The engineer is in charge and shows up at the end of the book mm-hmm. briefly. Mm-hmm. But uh, mostly we just see these kind of four uh, Cenobites here with their skin. Their clothes are sewn into their skin. And when they speak, the hooks that transfix the flaps of their eyes kind of bounce around and cause them pain. And <laughs> chains on everything. <laughs> And they're like, oh, are you tired of this reality? And he's like, yeah, this I'm done with this place. I need the Pleasure Dome. And they're like, all right, you ready? Here's your like, pins. He's like, please do it to me. And they first what they do to him is they subject him to like a sensory overload, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they just turn every sense in his body up to 11. Mm-hmm. So he can like feel the dust motes in the air he can smell everything that's ever been in that room. He can hear stuff throughout the entire city. And then he starts getting overloaded with his own memories, and he's li- literally experiencing every memory he's ever had all at once. 
and he it's awful and it mm-hmm. kind of he kind of blacks out and also they are doing physical pain to him at the same time with their hooks and their things and that they take him to their dimension for infinity torture it's not mm-hmm. clear exactly <laughs> the rules of what's happening. Just but it's that, also, but the, do they think it's torture or are they like, let, let us take you to our pleasure dimension great for inf- infinity pleasure. I, I think later Hellraiser stories may explore this further. I don't know. They, okay. they are just here to make his senses, you know, uh, fire as the kids yeah. say. No, and I just, I just, I feel like they would like, th- th- this is what I'm into. I'm going to, do it to you because I think you'll be into it too. Yeah, and uh, it hurts him. I don't know why they're in, supposed to be innately evil because it, it's just the whole like can't distinguish between pleasure and pain thing, and then it's just it just means that they're all in on pain all the time. It yep. it give it, I'm so hung up on it because it's so <laughs> stupid that well, the the thing too it's, it's is a, well just it's just a it is a weird way to put it is what I'm mm, saying. It's not. Sure. You could say they experience pain as pleasure, pleasure. and also oh. pleasure as pleasure, which mm. may, I mean, maybe that's the case. I don't know. But but it's specifically in like four different things that I researched and read about for this episode. They can't distinguish between pleasure and pain. Yeah. Well, and, and so they, what it means is like every time that they drink a nice cold beer on a hot summer's day hurts. that they should be, yeah, it should be torture for them. Or they can't tell what it is. They don't, maybe they don't feel it at all. I think yeah. there, there's also an implication that like they don't respond to the stimuli anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they need to interact with beings that do f- express plain, pain and pleasure. And that's maybe what they're doing to guys like this, like mm-hmm. Frank. So it's kind of unclear the mechanics of the the extra dimensional portal that they've taken him to, but he's gone now, and it's fine because nobody really liked Frank. <laughs> His family, <laughs> like he would always flit in and out of family, like overall, because he was like a petty criminal, and he'd always come back and be like, "Listen to this time, I like almost killed a person and had a bunch of sex. Like, mm-hmm. see you later." He's he's a real jerk, and. But we don't learn a lot of that right away because after he gets taken to the Hell Dimension in the opening gambit, uh, we cut to the other people's story. Rory and Julie are moving. They've mm-hmm. been married for four <laughs> years. and gri- Gripping suspense. <laughs> they are... Will the truck show up in time? <laughs> they are moving into this house, uh, the same house that Frank disappeared in because Rory is Frank's brother. And about a year or so ago, people had heard that Frank maybe met, spent some time there um, but it's been a while. Maybe it's longer than that. I don't remember. But mm-hmm. Rory and Julie have been married for four years. Their relationship isn't, and I took this note when I realized that it was uh, in the UK, their relationship isn't smashing. Uh, they've been oh, married no. four years, and Julia in particular is kind of like, this guy sucks. Mm-hmm. He's boring. Mm-hmm. I feel bored and sad with him. Bollocks. And she doesn't respect him. <laughs> She also, you know, she's really unenthused. Mm-hmm. She also doesn't like that his friend Chris Kirsty, who's in the neighborhood, has the hots for him. Mm-hmm. And no one really talks about it. It's just, and no one explains why he knows her other than maybe like they're just childhood friends. It's pr- Clive Barker is not interested other than the fact that she has the hots for Rory, which will keep her in the story moving forward. Sure. Okay. Um, we don't get really anything from Rory's perspective. He's kind of there to frustrate Julia. And when they move into the house, 
Kirsty shows up to help. Julia's kind of annoyed. Rory's moving all the heavy boxes around. And Julia's like, I'll go upstairs and find out where we should put our bed. Which room should be the bedroom. And she goes into one room, and it's weird in there. Mm -hmm. The window blind is nailed shut, and it's damp, and it's like cold in a way that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) And you kind of hear church bells in there, but there's no church nearby. And it's she just starts calling it the damp room. Ew. And Ew. it's no, the largest you. it's the largest a room. A damp in the room house. is something that you get a professional to come out and look at, isn't it? <laughs> it's the largest room in the house, but she decides, no, I will not make that my bedroom. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. No. Um and don't want to sleep in the damp room. Thank no, you very much. No, no. It's damp in here. So they spend a few months just kind of living there, not really getting settled. And Julia's feeling, you know, she doesn't like her marriage. She starts thinking about how uh, the night before her wedding, I think, mm-hmm. or the week before, Frank showed up and was like, hey, I'm Frank. I'm like Rory, but depraved and sexy. And they hung out for a little while, and then they had sex. Mm-hmm. And it was not good sex, as the book describes. He was very aggressive, but she was, she did want to have sex with him. The book takes pains to say that. Um, and so she can't stop thinking about that. She has, she's been thinking about it for four years. And she keeps finding herself going into the damp room. And it's still empty in there. But it's just, and it's still damp, probably, too, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And one day while she's in there, Rory's downstairs trying to fix a door frame, and he chisels his hand open. And he's a whiny baby, and he comes up the stairs, and he's like, oh, no, I'm bleeding. And she's like, you're a whiny baby. I hate you. Mm-hmm. And it gets blood all over the floor. Mm-hmm. And she But what takes- if he were a being who couldn't distinguish between pleasure well. and pain? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she takes care of him, whatever. The next day, he's like, hey, thanks for cleaning up all the blood in the damp room. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I didn't clean up the blood. And he's like, you silly housewife, you must have forgot. Uh, and she goes up there and all the blood, blood- is hard to get out of stuff. Like, you, re- <laughs> you remember. <laughs> uh, she goes up there and um, all the blood is gone. And she's like, that's weird. And during a party, she hates the party. And so she goes up there and she hears sounds. <gasps> and there's a cold light in the wall. And the wall kind of lights up and opens up and she sees it was human or it had been, but the body had been ripped apart and sewn together again with most of its pieces either missing or twisted and blackened as if in a furnace. There was an eye gleaming at her and the ladder of a spine, the vertebrae stripped of muscle, a few unrecognizable fragments of anatomy. Julia, it says. Whoa. And so this flesh monster is clearly Frank. Mm-hmm. And it says, uh, blood, please. Uh, it needs blood. It, <laughs> that's, it, that's polite. It sucked the blood out of the room mm-hmm. with its magic pain power. Mm-hmm. It, it can't, it, it isn't always in the room. It can go back into whatever dimension it was in. But it's just like, like it likes to check the room occasionally just to see in case there's blood in there. Yes. Now we will. Now, how many are there other, like, just seems like it seems like an inefficient way to get food mm. it's like if your grocery store had groceries for like a random four hour period every week and so you just like swung by the grocery store all the time to make sh- to see whether they had food well this right is now. interesting andrew because like mm-hmm. next you know julia has sex with rory and she doesn't like having sex with him so she just dreams of frank and ways to get frank blood like you do and 
we cut to a POV of Frank, I guess living in the wall, but also in the hell dimension, kind of just informing the reader a little bit about how he got there. And uh-huh. um, then he's like, oh, now they keep me trapped here. And that's the thing. It's like, it's not just a pain in the, it's like now they've cop, they've, you know, he made some sort of accord and now he's trapped in their prison. And he can't leave. Mm-hmm. He did hear that escape was possible uh, from from who I have no idea, um, because they can't cross back into the physical plane without being summoned by like the box or whatever. Okay, so he's got to get out, and he can spend some time in the physical plane now because he left something in that room. Andrew, what do you think, Frank, who died experiencing more pleasure than anyone has ever felt, left in the room? Like his soul or something? Nope. Uh, uh, is a phone? <laughs> nope. What? Almost his last act, bar the shouting, had been to empty his testicles onto the floor. Oh, neat. Dead so it's that. sperm was a meager keepsake of his essential self, but enough. When <sighs> dear brother Rory had let his chisel slip. There was something of Frank to profit from the pain. He had found a finger hold for himself and a glimpse of strength with which he might haul himself to safety. Now it was up to Julia. Gross. That's gross. So he can get out of the hell dimension if he gets more blood and physical matter to reconstitute a body that was taken from him, but he did leave a little bit of himself behind. Those guys die super fast. Yeah, I know. When they're out I in don't, the open air. Yeah, it's not. And I don't... Mm. <laughs> I was so confused when I, I mean, read that paragraph. I get Clive Barker's trying to cultivate a vibe, and I guess I get it, and it's just like, you're going to be... You're going to be sensationalist and gross and... But literally, it doesn't make any sense. No, it does also doesn't make any sense. How could he get out of the hell dimension just because of his spunk? Am I right? Um, so then Julia... Well, imp- just, I just feel like now we need to we need to reconsider every work. Where it's like, take Jurassic Park. <laughs> and instead of a mosquito and amber... Oh, dang. You got like T-Rex stuff that you found somewhere. And yep. that and that gives the T Rex a toehold to get back into the, <laughs> the natural dimension. <sighs> I haven't thought through this very much. Yeah, no, it's working though. Jurassic mm-hmm. Park. Uh, Julia does. <laughs> so Julia starts doing this whole thing. Um, that is do her we, plot. Like, at what point do we put the E label on the old explicit I label on this? I feel like we might have to. I I had a note that I wanted to ask you mid episode, so yeah, we should probably make a All note. Right. Put that uh, it's on just there. Good to, good to have these editorial discussions yep. on air. I feel to um, be transparent. Julia does this thing that reminded me of that book I read, Under the Skin. Though I think this book came first, where Julia is now cruising the local bar for tourists or men in town on business. Mm-hmm. Picking them up and taking them back to her house, murdering them in the damp room so that Frank's sperm spirit can, like, feast on their bodies and reconstitute his own flesh. Uh, And she's, like, into it. (laughs) She's really on board with this uh, awful plan. Mm -hmm. Um, This happens a couple times. 
uh, Kirstie, who has been asked by Rory to check in on Julia because she's not acting quite right, um, thinks that Julia's maybe just having an affair. Mm-hmm. I mean, which she is of the hellbound heart, right? You know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she comes over the second time to like really see what's going on, she does see a guy disappear into the house, and she thinks, "Oh my god!" She hears him yell. Is he getting killed? She thinks maybe it was pleasure. Maybe she heard a quote orgasmic whoop <laughs> to use Parker's phrase. Um, but she sneaks into the house and is confronted with this like bandaged flesh monster version of Frank who's getting more powerful every day. Uh, and she almost gets killed by him, but she hits him with the box, throws the box out the window and escapes and then is taken to the hospital after picking up the box. While she's recovering in the hospital, she opens mm-hmm. the box and a Cenobite appears. Ooh. He got pin, p- pins on his face? I don't recall. I think so. Pins and or hooks. Um, and he's like, ha I opened the box, eh? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, oh, you didn't mean to do it? Too bad. Uh, but instead, he's like, she, she's like, I know where Frank is. We can cut a deal because mm-hmm. they don't like that Frank got away. Mm-hmm. Now Frank's plan right now is that he does need uh a, like more body and maybe some skin. Does it like he does wants he to need, be a like, person does he, again? Does he need like like if he wants an arm? Do you have to get an arm, or can you just put some meat in there and he'll, he'll like? It, he's it, been he's been putting meat on himself by like whenever he quote unquote feeds on people they just kind of desiccate and he just takes their life force which just takes all the nutrients and moisture out of their body Mm -hmm. um and she does have to like chop up the remains and put them in a box or whatever Mm -hmm. but um it is implied that he will need like a proper skin suit to to rejoin humanity yeah um and so uh she, Kirsty, um, is like, hey, Cenobite, uh, I'll give you Frank. Uh, I'm going to go back to their house and get him, and then I'll summon you. And Rory's there, mm-hmm. but he's all bloody. Okay. And Julia's acting weird. And Rory makes a move on Kirsty, and he says, come to daddy, in a way <sighs> that Frank said. And it's Frank wearing Rory's skin. Gross, gross. This is gross. And then the house starts getting all like freaky magic, and the Cenobites aren't showing up yet because Frank hasn't said out loud that he is Frank. Mm-hmm. And so Julie gets stabbed with a knife, and then Kirsty's got to <laughs> get got to get Frank to say his name out loud. And then once he does, the Cenobites like rip him apart like and a, a rumple still skin situation yeah, they, okay. they need to hear out loud that he's him because he looks like rory and he's got to mm-hmm. confess what he did um and so then the cenobites take him away and julia's on the ground in her wedding dress but her head's come off but her head's still talking and then her head glows mm-hmm. and i think it's supposed to be the engineer that shows up and Kirsty runs away but then somebody bumps into her and she gets the cenobite the the, the secret puzzle box and so now the box is out there in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And that's the Hellbound Heart. Hellbound Heart. It's 
gross. There's yeah. There's nothing. <laughs> there's there's sex in this book, and it's none of it is sensual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often sad or mean, um, or both. Mm-hmm. There's one where drunk Rory wants to have sex with Julia, and she lets him, but undead Frank is watching. It's mm-hmm. really not a great scene overall mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know what do you have any questions about the style i just yeah like what was deal? your what was your read like like what what so you so you get some stuff about the cenobites and you get in this movie you have a cenobite character in the 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 person of pinhead yeah who becomes this sort of iconic horror figure but yeah. I'm, it's like there's nobody by that name in this book. It sounds no. like most of the Cenobites who you meet don't really get characterized or or fleshed out in any significant uh, way. So like out, where yeah. where are the yeah I know uh, where I don't know what where did the seeds of a decade spanning eleven movie franchise <laughs> come from? You know what is interesting about the way the story is structured is you get the you get the introduction to the Cenobites up top with Frank in his room and they're they are all working as an ensemble right they're just there like to introduce you to how messed up all this is and then you don't see them the entire rest of the book you Mm -hmm. just know that they are scary you know that they hurt Frank and put him in a different dimension Mm -hmm. and Frank is kind of the he's the bad guy of the book he's he's convinced Julia to kill strangers He's eating their bodies. He's going to steal his brother's skin. Like, Frank's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's not like, let's fight Pinhead, the book. Like, that's not the way the story goes. And so then, when Kirsty shows up and starts interacting with the Cenobite in the hospital, there's, like, this hint of, like, oh, they want things. Like, they want this guy back. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not... It's just cause. It's just because that's what they like to do. They like yeah. to cause pain. Well, and they can't. Dis- and as we've established, yep. they can't distinguish between pleasure and pain. That's true. Well, if you couldn't um, dis- pick other stuff that it would be really inconvenient to not be able to distinguish between. I knew I, a guy- I can't. I can't distinguish between hungry and mm-hmm. nauseous, which which is a thing that does happen to Ooh. me occasionally. But what if it was all the time? I knew a guy in high school who couldn't really feel temperature. Mm-hmm. That seemed dangerous. Yeah, I can't tell the difference between hot and cold. Which that seemed bad. Yeah, it it leads you some, down some bad paths, huh? He wore shorts all year round because it was convenient. And oh, I fine, but also like you're gonna get frostbite, my guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you know if you ever have a fever? Mm-hmm. That seems bad. You don't. Um, How do you know if you have a chill? I mean, oh. I know from Doctor Mario; those are the two. The two those are the two music. <laughs> yeah. um, what What if you couldn't discern between loud and soft? What if you just heard stuff? What if you couldn't distinguish between hard and soft? Ew! And so you're like, Ew. oh, I need to go to I need to go to bed. Just let me pull up the cinder block and I'll lay my head on it. Ew! Yeah. Or if you were like trying to. Uh, I don't know, like jump onto a mattress, but really it was a sidewalk and 
Yeah. Like it would be bad. I'm just saying if there, there are a lot of, including pleasure and pain, there are a lot of sensations where if you couldn't tell the difference between them, you would just straight up die really fast. And I Uh think pain and pleasure is one of them. Yeah. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think there is a, there's a lesser more, less is more thing with the Cenobites that, Mm -hmm works in this like bite-sized novella and you mean works. like the the less you think about them the more effective they are as yeah as, like, i mean they really yeah. they really get very little you know screen time in the book they don't uh they're more a, a thing that frank has been experiencing and wants to get away from but he's already a bad guy so you don't really care like nobody's in this book is like a pretty i mean kirsty maybe is a good person so know. like could frank have instead of becoming a frankenstein meat man like could he have become a cenobite instead like did he get this, that, this they don't explore that opportunity to become a pain pleasure monster and he chose to in a really screwed up way preserve his humanity instead or it, like it just feels like the characters aren't here to be characters they're just here to be like bodies that stuff happens to yeah that's mostly what it is yeah mm-hmm. there's no there's no like you could become one of us enter the priesthood stuff um and rory's not really a care you know rory's a character for bad stuff to happen to kirstie's a character that's a lot that's a lot of horror movies i mean they they fit into slightly different archetypes based on their relationships to each other mm-hmm. um the primary like emotional core of this book is a kind of sad marriage and the people around it. And like that part is still interesting. I Mm -hmm. still, I was interested to see where it went. I, I wasn't like what wacky awful thing is going to happen to someone next. I kind of just wanted to know where Barker thought this stuff could go. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, then you can kind of see like, okay, well, Kirstie's going to make it out alive and she's going to carry this evil MacGuffin in out into the world. And that's your, that's your like, what else could happen here moment? Um, cause there's no defeating these guys and you're not even, and you're not even taking them on head on. Like that is what is interesting about this as a first story in this franchise is that like Frank isn't trying to defeat them. He's just trying to get away. None of the other characters even know about them until the end of the book. And so it's not like we have to defeat this evil monster. It's like all these people have evil impulses Mm -hmm. and that drives them to their supernaturally supported death. Mm -hmm. So that's Hellraiser. Yeah. It's been raised. Yeah. Hell has been raised. You're right. (laughs) I'm, I'm excited to get out of the wall. What if you couldn't? Wall. What if you couldn't distinguish between funny and awkward, and that's where like cringe comedy comes from? Well, do I have a podcast for you with five hundred and twenty episodes? They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're just like Steve Carell is a Cenobite who is who can't tell when he's being funny and when he's no. being socially inept. Oh, now I'm just picturing Steve Carell in full pinhead gear, and it's making me laugh. Yeah, but he would be, like, as Michael Scott from The Office, yes. right? Like, not, uh-huh. yeah, not trying to be a, a menacing presence. Well, but Dwight is also dressed up as the assistant to the Cenobite, and he is taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, Oscar's there. 
Yeah. And also and, and, Phyllis. And always Jim is always pranking them like, oh, hey, can you not sense pleasure from pain, idiot? And that's like, that's the funny prank that he's always pulling on Dwight. Yeah, he's doing nice things and mm-hmm. Dwight's like, ow. Mm-hmm. Beats. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for Spooktober. Anyway, I think Greg Daniels, if you're listening, like just send us an email. <laughs> we can we can be involved in the reboot if you want. Did Mike Shore work on this? Yeah, he on, did. Well, this is a Mike Shore idea that we have right here. It's mm-hmm. a sure thing. It's a Mike Shore bet. Um, thanks everybody for listening. This has been the second entry in Spooktober 2022. How about Heart? If you uh, are a fan of the Hellraiser movies and you want to weigh in and let us know what some of the lore is, send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at overduepod. I'd like to thank Dr. Acula, Frank Enstein, <laughs> my mummadies, Jake Skellington, the We Are Wolf Collective, and Bloody Guy 42069 for reaching out to us <laughs> in the past week. Um, are those people real? You'll never know. Uh, thanks, social media. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to Nick Larandis, <laughs> who composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there, we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. If you go there now, you'll find the results of the spooktober that we've wrought. Yep. Uh, next week, I'm going to be reading Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson. It's going to be fun. Uh, Patreon.com slash OverduePod is where you can support the show. Uh, join our Discord server. Uh, people had a very, I think, enlightening conversation about what constitutes fanfic. And some people took the... I'm not, I don't know that I necessarily agree with this, but I find it really intriguing. The concept that the author of the original work could write fanfic about the the work that they themselves created yeah and so if you want to be just like intellectually challenged <laughs> you should join our discord server debate us in discord uh, you also get bonus episodes and other stuff early um i think that's pretty much it yeah yeah that's it all right everybody thank you so much for listening uh we are looking forward to continuing to be spooked and chilled with you and listen we can tell the difference between those two things yep Uh, But yeah, until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.